Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. Hi, this is Joe Campanelli, the host of In the Drink. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sharp and Hot. I am your host, Chef Emily Peterson, joining you live from Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. This is episode number 116. I have joining me in the studio my friend and co-host for the day, Jennifer Liuzzi, Heritage Radio Network family host of Tech Bites. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm feeling a little awkward in the guest seat. <laughs> we can switch spots if you no, want. No, that's okay. It's really, this is, this is a good exercise for me to be in the guest seat and be with another host. It's a lot of fun. I don't think I've been a guest on a show since I've started hosting. I ha- I don't think I have either. I were you a guest once or never? Never, never. never. I was a guest once way long ago. Where I was, I don't even remember who interviewed me, but Heritage Meets was doing... You were promoting something at Astor, I think. Yeah, right. That's right. We were doing an event at Astor Center where I was cooking, promoting Heritage Food USA, and they had me come out here. And I got interviewed about the event and about food, and and then we went off air, and I was like, how do you get a show? That's fun. (laughs) And then the rest is history. That's how I ended up here. Well, welcome to being a guest on Sharp and Hot. Thank you. I have invited you here because I have a really intense listener question, and I asked a whole bunch of people what their thoughts were, and yours really resonated, and it's no, I don't think it's any secret to you. You are very much a mentor figure to me, and so when I saw your response, I emailed you and asked for a response, and I thought, you know what, let's just have a conversation. Oh, you can't see it, but I'm smiling. (laughs) You can hear it in your voice. Smiling, that beautific smile. (laughs) Uh, My friend, a friend of the show, Chris Torciello, licensed clinical social worker, was also supposed to join us. He, however, being a real-life therapist and helper just texted me and said, I have an emergency with a client and I am not going to be there. So we will hold down the fort while he is out there doing the good work, doing the good work. And I have a voice recording for him that will, that will wrap up the conversation. Exciting. So before we get to the question, uh, the major question of the day, I have a more lighthearted cooking question and you're a trained chef. You've worked in Paris. You've had Michelin stars under your belt. Yes. So you will be able to answer this question much more articulately than I will. But listener John from the Pacific Northwest listeners of the show know him as my favorite gooey duck farmer asks are there do you know more than one gooey duck farmer no okay Uh, if i met another one i still think john would be my okay (laughs) we're putting out an open call to (laughs) all gooey duck farmers yep uh let's see chef emily at sharpenhot.com you can send your bios you can send samples Mm -hmm. (laughs) we need to increase that population of gooey duck farmers yes yeah no john has been an incredible resource for my indulging my love of um seafood that i can't that you can't get on the east coast no so So he messaged me on facebook to say that he was going to make tacos and the uh I'm just going to read. It says, according to familial tra- uh, tradition, I'm putting potatoes in with the meat in my tacos. I called my mother ancestor and she said any potato would work, but sweet potatoes might be fun. What do you recommend? So I'll throw the question to you. What would you recommend for taco meat? My question is, is the potato providing a starchy binder to thicken the taco meat thing? 
if it's all kind of dry in little pieces, say, like a skillet saute or something, and then you're putting all that into a taco, then any kind of potato would work fine. If it's more liquidy and stewy and you have some sort of liquid around the meats with the other ingredients that you need potato protein to create some viscosity and texture, then the sweet potato is not going to work because the sweet potato doesn't have that protein. So if you wanted something sweet but still have the potato starch, I would recommend something like an Okinawa or a purple potato or the white sweet potato, which have that sweetness but still have the potato starch. So the orange sweet potato won't slough off in the same way. Yep. But in that case, would something like a Yukon Gold work? Yeah. Because that, that would have the right... Mm -hmm. So I used sweet potatoes in New England clam chowder the other day because it's what I had. And I was like... I mean, I knew I was going to thicken it with a white roux. So I didn't... I have wasn't, to worry about that. I didn't have to worry about it. And it was so good. And it like provided this like little burst of color. And I was really proud Did of it. Did it turn myself. it orange? No, no, I just, I diced them up and then I just put them in at the very end. I literally, the size of dice, like the dice that you roll at the casino. So they cooked fairly quickly in the stew at the very end, the soup in the very end. And they were delicious. That sounds really good. Do you put bacon in your? Sometimes, powder? sometimes I do. I usually start with frying the bacon to render the fat. And then whether or not I put the bacon back in as a garnish, maybe, but sometimes I find it to be a little bit heavy, a little heavy handed. And I like the kind of light brightness right. as light and bright as a cream based soup can be. Um, but I will also say I've started using evaporated milk. Mm. And we've gotten totally off of the taco tub. So we'll come back to the tacos. <laughs> <laughs> One of the problems that um, home cooks can have with making cream-based soups is if, especially when you reheat it, the cream can break and you yes. get kind of that oil stick. I have not had that happen with evaporated milk. Interesting. So that's, that's my new go-to. But regarding the tacos, I mean, I, I think I would just experiment. Like, the worst case scenario is you have a more crumbly filling or a more juicy filling than you want but that's still pretty good delicious delicious so the other thing that i'll say is um i think i shared on the show that i was sort of giving up i was i saw uh in defense of food a couple of months ago and it really made me aware of how much sugar i was consuming and more not only how much sugar i was consuming but how much i was lying about it <laughs> like relying on coke a cola that coke? coca cola i really, actual coca cola actual coca cola like i really enjoy and so like i watched the, that like the trendy slightly bougie Mexican Coca-Cola no, no. or Coca-Cola like, from other countries nope. where it's made with actual cane sugar uh, versus yeah, the mean, crappy American corn syrup, which is drive-through McDonald's. Nope, I, I, drive-through oh, McDonald's. Yeah. Oh, I, and I and I like, but and I it needs to be fountain. Like I don't buy, I wouldn't buy I'm like cans. I'm with you on this. <laughs> I feel like this is going to be another confessional show. This is going to be an intense show. Everybody, get ready. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're totally glossing over the drive-through McDonald's part. I know. Wow. I know. Well, but you know, you want to know why, Jack? I don't know if, the, if this is. Your I can't reason. see Jack. This is also very strange. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can't wait. You can just when pull the whole the, thing. When you're in the host seat, you get to look through the window at the booth, and the guest doesn't get to see him. So now he's just this voice in my headphones. Oh yeah. He's back there. You know why McDonald's? McDonald's has the best ice. Ooh, yeah. I would agree with that. They have just the right pulverization on their crushed ice. It's like light ice. Yeah, it's light. Yeah. And like Wendy's ice, they have like full-on ice cubes. And uh -huh. it's fine. It's fine. But like crushed ice. You you have a fast food fountain soda survey going on. 
Yes, which is why I needed to stop <laughs> drinking it entirely because after watching this movie and seeing the graphic of how many sugar cubes you're consuming, it real I mean, it's so stupid. And I'm a, like a professional in this world, and I was like, oh teaching, yeah, I'm not teaching like that. teaching people. Yeah, in a nutrition studies department. Yes, yeah. and I'm like, oh that that doesn't apply to me. That doesn't apply to me. And then I'm like, I. Possible okay. deniability. Yep, totally. So I gave up. You're like someone sure. from Mad Men who says that, you know, smoking's, smoking's not bad for you. <laughs> Smoked for 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> I have a personality that enjoys indulging myself uh, in the things that I want because uh, there's a small child in me that says, damn it, I'm a grown up. And if I want to drive through Coca-Cola... I'm going to get it. Now, that's so not... So are you just getting a beverage when you drive through? Excellent question, Jack. It's happened, yeah. But I it's usually... Happened. Is that the norm? I, okay. God. Okay. I usually get two cheeseburgers and a Coke. There no you go. fries. Now we're talking. Yep. I do. Ugh, je- She's clutching her pearls. <laughs> <laughs> I, and it's problematic because of all of the reasons that are obvious... When you are someone who is immersed in the world of good meat and good protein and caring about the planet and marketing and all of that stuff. And people. And humans. Let's not and, forget about the people. I know. And the human beings. So I realized, I watched In Defense of Food in November and was like... Did you miss Fast Food Nation? I read Fast Food Nation. And you still went to McDonald's after that. I did. I did. But I... I did. There are lots of justifications that I... Supersize me. At. You miss supersize me? I can talk all that away. I wasn't eating the french wow. fries. That guy who's super skinny, who's eaten there every day for like 15 years, he doesn't eat the fries. He wasn't super skinny at the end of 30 no, days. No, no, not him. The guy, there's the guy with the ponytail, um, the older geezer, and he's like, I don't eat the fries. Right. So I was like, I just don't eat the fries. I'll just have this meat of unknown origin. Here's the other sick thing. As a t- kid... <laughs> go ahead because that's not sick no there's a lot of there's a lot of sickness here as a kid um i had braces and we didn't have a mcdonald's nearby but there was a mcdonald's near the orthodontist i'm convinced that this is where the origin story is so when i would go and have my braces tightened that meant a trip to mcdonald's and that was the carrot to not that was the present for good behavior at the place that's supposed to fix your teeth was a fountain coke yes right yeah, well. <laughs> or right. a strawberry milkshake right and because your teeth were sore it was all liquid so yeah yeah or it's just like soft and mushy in general and so even as a kid i d- dissected a cheeseburger once and realized that individual components were disgusting like if you just peel apart the cheeseburger and try to eat just the bun Mm -mm. gross like inedibly gross and yet together there's an alchemy of comfort food there for me that anyway i think it's like this with a lot of people for fast food you know like for me like a divorced family my dad would come pick us up like every other tuesday and thursday and we only had a little window of time so it would always be a different fast food restaurant so that's i think where like my bond of affinity comes from sure. for certain fast foods yeah i'm not proud of it jennifer i'm not um yeah i'm all for satisfying the indulgent itch or the indulgent want especially in the food arena you know, I've I've been in and around the food industry and business and media and restaurants and chefs for 20 years at this point. And knowing what I know about fast food and processed food and also physically, actually, the way it makes me feel now when I eat it, I just have absolutely no desire for it. But that's not to say I can be very indulgent and want 
a burger and fries and want something bubbly and sweet to drink and eat popcorn and chocolate and cake and bread and fried chicken and chicken waffle and all that kind of stuff, I just try and find the bestest, greatest versions of it. So that's, And, and yeah. you can, I mean, increasingly, I think to the world's credit, you know, there are a lot of fast food style, fast casual restaurants that will satisfy that burger, fry, chicken, waffle, taco. So chicken waffles come out twice. I think I love chicken waffle. I love chicken and waffles. See that I I don't I didn't grow up with that. That was either did I. I grew up in Hawaii. There were no chicken waffles out there. Chicken waffles like yes, born and raised. So today at NYU was our Pacific Regional Techniques class, and I just had spam masubi and there you go. rice uh, butter mochi cake. Yes, butter mochi. That's what I ate yeah. Before I got here, mm-hmm. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> so yes, I, I feel like I can dance around the spectrum of things, but I watched that movie. It gave me a moment of pause, and I was like, okay, so I need to I need to rein this in. Um, how do we get on the subject? Wait, indulgence, dry January, dry right. So I, part of giving up sugar was realizing I use my fitness pal. Do you use my fitness pal? I love my fitness pal. I really, really. We should be. I don't think we're friends on there. We should be friends. I'm not friends with anyone on my fitness oh. pal. My fitness pal is completely private. Okay. See, mine. My diary is completely open. Okay. Anyone can see. We it. can talk about it after the show. Okay. I am very honest about how much I was. I have been very honest about how much wine I'm drinking every night on my fitness pal. And I was having a very challenging time losing weight, despite the fact that I go to the gym five or six days a week. I run. I like I have a Fitbit. I eat, you know, I aside from the Coca-Cola, which I've gotten rid of since November. And, and the two cheeseburgers. And which I have. Yeah, those are less. I, I really haven't had. Anything those have a lot like of sugar that. in them, too. I know. And they're not, there's nothing redeemable aside from that. I feel good. So. Same thing was happening with wine. And I was like, as I've gotten older, I turned 36 in November, I'm suddenly committing like two days, not just having more wine than I should, because I can justify in my head, oh, this is like, this is my job. This is what I do to suddenly I'm drinking a bottle of wine without even thinking about it at night. So then the next day has been since November, all since I turned 36, awful awful and i'll wake up feeling like okay i feel okay and then as the day goes on i just feel worse and worse and worse and i'm like please god let it be anything but the wine (laughs) and it's it's the wine it's the drinking so uh my husband and i my husband is a garden designer so he doesn't go to work in january and most of february because there's snow on the ground there's not and they work ridiculous hours during the season and so they have january off and Mark was like, well, I'm not doing dry January because that's my vacation. Let's do dry February. I was like, fine. Shorter so, month also. Shorter month. Smart easier man. to deal with. It's a leap year. Well, it's no. still shorter. 29 is still shorter than... 31 in yep. January. It's two days. Two days, brother. So I should also say, uh, without, I guess without being too specific and respecting privacy, I'm genetically surrounded by problems with alcohol. Some being dealt with others. Less so. Um... And since February 1st, when I have not had anything to drink, everything feels better. Yep. Everything. Everything. Yep. Damn it. Yeah. That sucks. And I don't think I'm a moderator. I don't think I'm someone who can moderate and be like, I'm just going to have two glasses of wine on Saturdays. Because I tried that when I was a smoker. I was like, I'm just going to have one cigarette a week. Nope. Nope. I would be back up to a pack a day 
within a month if I started if I tried that now. So I'm not saying that I'm never drinking again, but I'm giving a real college try to. You know, I have a three-year-old who gets up at six o'clock in the morning, regardless Ooh. of how I feel. And how do I want to greet him in the morning? Do I want to be like excited and like ready to fry some eggs, or do I want to be like, I'd prefer to die right now? There's that great commercial where the guy is at in a doorway, and he's saying, "Yeah, you know, I'm feeling under the weather. I'm getting the flu. I think I'm going to need to take today off and call in sick." And the camera cuts back, and he's talking to. Like a one-year-old in a crib, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's the dad saying, "Like, yeah, I'm gonna have a take a sick day, yeah. baby." No, there's and the no baby's such just thing. looking at him like, "What?" Yeah, no, there's no such thing. So you know, one of the interesting things I spend, um, I spend a lot of time working out. I spend a lot of time around food. The more you know about food, the more fun it is. And if you're interested in connecting your food to your body function. And you know how to make great food, which you do, because you're Chef Emily. <laughs> you can be in total control of what you put into your body, even if you're in like the healthy, fitness, foodie, green wash space. Sometimes it's not necessarily the best thing for you, but having total control over what you put in your body is great. I think the interesting thing I read a lot. I read a lot online. I talk to a lot of athletes, professional, amateur coaches in different sports, endurance sports, combat sports. And one of the interesting things, just about men and women, and the difference in when people decide to get fit and lose weight, men stop drinking, and they lose weight immediately. And the reason being is that when men are drinking, they make really horrible food choices. So all the beers turns into beer and burger and pizza and nachos and just all kinds of crap. So they're Doing all the drinking, plus they're onboarding all this really awful food. So when they stop drinking, a side effect of that is they stop eating all this additional bad food and making these bad food choices. What I've read is that women drink instead of eating. So they'll sit down with their wine, they'll go out with their girlfriends, and they'll drink. And that'll sort of be the consumption activity, and they won't be eating. So when women stop. Drinking, they don't lose quite as much weight as quickly as men do. It's a completely different social engagement with the drinking activity. So, I mean, it's sort of not surprising because my guess is that while you were having your glass of wine, your two glasses of wine, you were possibly not having. The evening meal, or the before bed snack, or the whatever thing meal was at that time of day that would have done a body good. <laughs> I mean, that's especially true. Like when I was living, uh, you know, when I was younger and I was living either alone or with my roommate, like we would joke, and it was very like, you know, sort of dark. We were aware of what we were saying, but like it's still, you know, still two hundred fifty calories or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, ha, 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 ha. And then but you, it, yeah, <laughs> a calorie is not a calorie. That, and that's been Even a Even though real, people think it is, it's just not. It's I mean, just the functionality not. of what the calories do is so important. Right. And so using my fitness pal, even though I was very honest about how many drinks I was consuming. They're like, oh, I'm like, still at my calorie limit. I've lost weight already, just not drinking and cutting out the sugar. Not a, not a huge amount, but enough where I, f I feel so much better. My skin looks better. I wake up happy. I go to bed. I fall asleep. I sleep through the night. Like, all of these things. And I... 
just am really going to miss wine. Well, you don't have to not ever have it. And maybe it's a question of, you know, if you had half bottles of wine. In the house, yeah. In the house, instead of full <laughs> bottles. No, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. being totally serious, you, you know. You buy better wine that way, too. You know, you buy better wine, you have a little half bottle of something, you know, you keep a little supply, and you say, okay, I'm going to have this, and then you have your two glasses, and you're done. Right. And then that's it. This is a good segue into our other listener question, because it, I think, is a question that deals with some of, similar emotions, very different, different subject matter, but similar emotions around indulgence and loss. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, I'll read the listener email. And the break music here is called Third Degree Burns by Taxstar. Be right back. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market, America's healthiest grocery store with more than 400 locations throughout the United States. Download the Whole Foods Market app on your smartphone for recipes, sales, information, and digital coupons. Or visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store closest to you. Welcome back, everyone. I am here in the studio joined by Tech Bytes host Jennifer Liuzzi. Hello. Hello. So I got this email a few weeks ago, and I've been really meditating on it because it's the hardest question I've been asked and it's not specifically to do with cooking and that's probably why because I I don't know where to find the answer um, so I emailed the listener I have permission to read it and to discuss it on the air uh, I'm going to withhold her name Jennifer I emailed this to you and you got back to me with like broken up the email with lines I'm going to read it all the way through I oh, think okay. sure you think I, I think I'll read it all the way through and then we can kind of go back and discuss sure. points and then at the end we'll play Chris's really I think really articulate message uh, to the listener at the end okay it says I am 31 years old from Berlin Germany I've been listening to Heritage Radio for over two years and I love it um this is the part where she talks about how much she loves my show, which I'm uncomfortable talking about. <laughs> read it. I want okay. you to read it. Listening to you is so much fun, and I just love the way you teach everybody without coming across as a know-it-all. Thank you. Uh, you just seem so natural and down-to-earth, just like a best friend, and I want to thank you for that. I myself am very interested in everything food-related, especially baking. I'm basically thinking about it every waking hour. Unfortunately, I have had a chronic digestive disease since the age of 13, which makes me unable to eat or drink at all. I can't even take a sip of water, so I'm receiving all my nutrition and fluids through a feeding tube that goes straight, uh, sorry, that goes right into my intestines. I have not eaten or drunk a single thing since 2005, and I think that's the reason why I love food and cooking so much. It's the only way I can still, quote, enjoy food and pretend to be somewhat normal. Emily, I want to ask you something. My biggest wish is to work somehow with food, be it baking, pastry, chocolatier, nutrition, anything. Due to my illness, I am very weak physically, and I'm not able to take classes or go through some kind of culinary course. I already know very much about nutrition because I have spent the last 17 years having to think about it every day. And since I am reading and trying out so much, I know about every food topic and the trends that are going on. I have tried looking for something that I could do from home, ask small companies if I could work for them from my home office, but it's not very common here in Germany. And since I don't have an official degree in anything, it is even harder. I was wondering if you have any advice on what I could do or where I could ask. I am really at a loss. My absolute dream job would be to test recipes and do research on food topics. For example, work for Food 52 or such. 
I would love to hear from you. Again, thank you so much for everything you are doing. I wish I was in New York and could help you with your show, but I guess you don't need that from Germany. Anyone from Germany for that regards. Okay. Wow. That is a big... It's a big letter. It's also... um, I think it's wonderful that she's been listening to you for such a long time, and I think it's a testament to how well you talk to people. I mean, she's out in Germany and she is really listening to your voice and feeling connected enough to you to reach out to you with something that is amazingly and uncomfortably honest about her life. So kudos to her for having the wherewithal to do that. But kudos to you for creating a show in a space that that reaches people that way. That's pretty amazing. Thank you. I was really honored and really touched because I know how hard it is to be vulnerable and be exposed and like talk about these things that are hard, that are really hard. So um, I'm really glad too. Like that's what I've aimed to do. And I'm, I, I feel like it's uh, working. It's, it's working. working. It's working. So now, now someone now you asked. have to answer her though. Now we have to answer. Which, and the responsibility of answering is kind of heavy, but you're a teacher. So you answer people for a job, which is kind of amazing also. Also very heavy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and a lot, 90% of it is very um, easy breezy. You know, a lot of For you. Yeah. Well, some of it is like, how do I separate an egg or how do I, you know, chef, what do I do? I drop my cake on the floor. You know, (laughs) a lot of it is straightforward. But there are the 10% of people who are asking me, like, I want to drop out of college or I want to go to culinary school or, you know, I want to do this or whatever. Well, it, but. it may be easy breezy in terms of the subject matter, but I think anytime a person says publicly to somebody else, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know about this. I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I made a mistake. I think I ruined something. That's a moment of vulnerability. It takes a lot of humility. And even if the subject is just how do I separate an egg, you know, if people feel comfortable enough in the space around you to say those things, knowing that, you know, you're not going to say, well, you're just an idiot. (laughs) No, (laughs) and you're going to give them, you're going to give them an answer that will be respectful to their humility, but also be well-informed that will teach them how to figure it out. I have worked really hard to create a space and you know around myself where i will i promise i will never make you feel dumb and people i always ask what's the dumbest thing you've ever been asked and i literally i like can't answer that question because what's dumb to me or what's dumb to you is not going to be dumb to the next person i feel like it's the wrong that's the wrong thing to ask you know so anyhow anyhow thank you for (laughs) thank you thank you for uh thank you for asking the questions and you guys are welcome to make yourselves vulnerable with me i am here listening uh, to answer the listener from Berlin's question, I don't, I have really meditated on this a lot and I don't think that I have an answer that includes, here's a food job that you haven't thought of yet. And the part of that is that in teaching people how to cook in a formal program or in recreational classes or whatever it is. You teach people to taste things from the very, very beginning. Having a jar of tasting spoons and you taste all along how to salt things, how to season things. 
is just part of it. And if that element is not part of your palette, your artistic palette, it would be almost impossible to find a place that's publishing food information for other home cooks, other people to utilize if you yourself as the tester or writer are not able to test that. Does that make sense? I'm trying to think of an analogy. Like, It would be like if I was trying to teach someone um, how to ride a horse if I myself could not physically ride a horse. It's just like you can get very, very close, but to actively work in the field, I I think it's like playing a sport. You know, you could learn everything there is to know about sailing and you could be an amazing mathematician and learn the sextant and the knots and the rigging and how it works in every scenario. But if you don't have the ability to get on a boat and put it into action, you're only going to be a theorist. So I was thinking about what are things that this person could do? You know, because I I have a feeling that they are very well aware of the things that they can't do. I think that that's sort of the the spirit of the question is like, given the limitations that I'm keenly aware of now. what? And I, the first thing that came to mind that I have like thought, and I've mentioned it to, I've talked about it with a couple other people and they're like, yeah, I want to do that. If you're artistically inclined in some way, which I have, I went, I was a painter and a drawing, I was an artist as a young person. Uh, I was fascinated. I thought, what if this person did portraits of flavor or paintings or whatever the medium is? It doesn't really matter. Sculpture, drawing, knitting, whatever it is, but attaching a visual element to the memory of things that they once I, I assume the the diagnosis didn't come until they were 13 so I assume there's a memory there and a loss and a mourning and I was thinking about like mourning jewelry or mourning artwork and if there's some way to incorporate the other senses everything but taste into some sort of artistic expression well I think what you're talking about is artistic expression and That's wonderful and can be very satisfying. And sometimes if you love something truly, you maybe don't want it to be your job because maybe it will lose that joy for you because it's very different thing to love something and have to then do it every day for a job. And I know there is a very commonly heard piece of advice, which is do what you love and it won't be like working or do what you love. And I think that's very true. But there's a difference between creatively expressing yourself and doing something in a functional sense that you can charge people money for that becomes a job. Having a creative expression that you can sell to people is then even more challenging. So I think part of the answer that you're articulating for her about finding an outlet of her to produce something around her love for food is adjacent to getting a job in food. Yeah, and I mean, maybe we could broaden this out because people ask me all the time, how do I get to work for Food 52? Right. How do I well, get to, I want to be a food writer. It's like, get in line. <laughs> so you're gesturing this. To my answer. To your answer. Okay, so I'm going to read what you wrote because I thought it was very articulate. Um... 
a lot of people have this as a dream job. If you want to work for Food 52, and I'm going to address this to everyone who wants to be a food yes, writer and work for Food because 52. Because this is her question, her, her challenges are specific to her. Mm-hmm. And her challenges are perhaps um, give us a little bit more pause because they are so black and white of physical limitation. Um, and that, you know, makes us all, you know, be thoughtful and emotional. But everybody has limitations in one form or another. Hers are just extremely physical and extremely overt. Okay, so you wrote, a lot of people have this as a dream job. If you want to work for Food52 or some other online publication, look at the job listings and see what the requirements are and see how your resume measures up. Then start to build your experience based on what you want to do. Passion and desire are wonderful things, but they themselves are not enough. Passion will drive you to find a practical solution, drive you to learn the skills and knowledge you need, and get the experience to turn your passion into a job. And I think one of the things, and you touched on it just before, is like this idea of monetizing our passion. And, you know, I joke, I don't, I mean, it's, I say it sort of jokingly, but it's true where when I was trying to figure out when I was 26, 27 years old, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, very dark depression, very existential crisis. What am I going to do with my life? And I say I was watching a lot of Oprah and Oprah says, do what you love and the world will rise up and meet you. And I had to put on the side burner the idea that that was going to come with money, come along with money immediately. That somehow the passion and the money were going to, it was going to be this perfect synthesis of everything was going to land at the same time. Did it happen? No, still hasn't really. I mean, and that's the thing is it's a moving target. So sort of, you know, like I, I can pay my bills. I work at NYU and I teach in the food studies department. Like I have wonderful things, but like if you'd asked me then what aren't you getting paid to do what you love? Didn't it rise to meet you? Very much so. So it did work out. But that's what I mean about the moving target and being careful when you are saying, I want to work, I want to do this one particular thing because then you get there and it's, it's suddenly further down the road. Right. It's like, oh, well, oh, I did that. Okay, now that's behind me. Now what? You know, maybe it's a personality type that I have where it's like, I'm going to keep, well, I did that, you know, and reach for the next rung and reach for the next rung higher. And so th- I, if I could talk to myself, if I could talk to myself five years ago, uh, more than that, God, 10 years ago, and say, enjoy those moments of achievement and like don't expect that you're ever going to be done you're never going to just like arrive and look around and say oh now i'm working at food 52 done. yes and that's something that i that's the passion and desire are not enough piece yeah and so there's a practicality element of making money and monetizing the thing that you love where the, that is a trade-off you know people are like what is it like to eat at your house I'm like honestly on days where i've worked all day grilled cheese (laughs) like we don't so i the thing is is that the thing about food is people think because they eat it and they consume media about it because you read food 52 and you watch the food network and you read food and wine magazine and food is for every person, every person eats. It's very democratic. We all do it together. We all have stories. We all have the family recipe. 
it's very easy for people to make the transition to, well, this person is hugely successful writing books about their grandmother's recipes. And I have a grandmother and I cook her recipes and I can do that too. And it's exactly the same phenomenon of I cook great food at home for my friends and family. I make wonderful dinner parties. I could be a chef in a restaurant. Or I have an opinion about the donut I just ate. <laughs> I could be a food critic or I could be a writer. And because the action of eating and making food is so democratic and so universal, that's one of the wonderful, amazing things about it is that we all share it. And that's part of why we spend so much time on it now in the media and social media and TV and in books. But just because you ate food today does not make you a restaurant critic. And it never will. Because what people forget, and I listened to the show, I think it was last week, you had Sam Sifton call in mm -hmm. about some recipes and things like that. And you asked him for his advice on what would, you know, what makes people great writers or people want to be in the food writing business. And his answer was, be a good journalist. People are focused on the thing in the photo. And they're not understanding that you need to be an amazing photographer. You need to be a writer. You need to be a journalist. You need to actually know how to cook in a scientific, professional, quantifiable manner. So this is a question that, you know, we've talked about on my show also. I want to be a food TV star. I want to be in video. I want to be a food writer. The advice the professionals always give is do the work to learn the craft. And learning the craft of cooking and writing and taking beautiful photos is serious work. So passion is not enough. And, you know, your listener has physical limitations. Okay. So there are online universities. There are online video schools. You could learn how to write or take photos with a digital camera or do all those things having passion does not mean you are a technician or an artisan or a craftsman it takes a long time to do it uh, and i think that the next step and this is sort of a good place if jack if you want to cue up chris's thing it's like everyone goes through Sent, you know, sort of, and I'll just keep it in the professional realm, but like the sense of loss around things that maybe, I, you know, and I go through it too. Like, maybe I can't do that. Like, I don't know. Maybe I can't. I thought for a long time that I could be a food photographer. I can't. <laughs> and like, it takes so much time and investment. And I, all of a sudden, this like light turn on about can you not do it or did you just not want to do it enough to make that investment that's and that's also the thing. yeah you know so yeah it's hard work i mean i don't i i want to be very encouraging and i want my advice to be practical but i want people to understand you have to do the work you know I love sports analogies because you know there's something everyone can understand you can't just get off the couch and decide to run a marathon your body won't do it. You can't do it. 
I don't care how fast you were in high school. I don't care how sporty you are. I don't care how great you look in like the Nike leggings or whatever. (laughs) You cannot get off the couch and compete in a triathlon. You have to do the work. And if you want to compete in the Hawaii Ironman triathlon, which is one of the top professional sporting events in the world, and you want to compete with the 1%, you got to put the work in. Put the work in. And I want you to know, and I, I... I don't know if I prefaced this. I invited you on here for your straight, tough talk because you can do it much better than I can. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and I think that, like, food photography moment, that was a moment for me where I was like, where am I going to put my energy? And the, the reward that I got from taking a good photograph was nowhere near the reward I got from teaching. And so it was like, I'm going to focus on being a teacher. And I can, like... I mean, I can, like, set up a thing and, like, take some photographs, but I'm never going to be, like, you know, like Michael Harlan Turkel, who's getting paid. Well, that's because it doesn't speak to you. No, it doesn't. And, and I, but I, but I, I, don't, I don't think the premise is you could not have done it or could not have achieved it. You started down the road. You did what you needed to do. You started to learn and take pictures and do the photos and start to do the work, and you realized that it didn't resonate with you. So you shifted gears, and you put the work in somewhere else. And that resonated with you and you put in more work and more work and more work. And now you teach people at an amazing university and you teach listeners and that's wonderful. So you only discovered that it didn't resonate with you because you were putting the work in. But there was like a a, a morsel of loss because in my in my teenager brain, I thought I can do everything. And it's realizing that you can't like that. Yes, by cutting away the things I can't and deciding that doesn't resonate. But like, you can, just not to the level that you want 